0: So, we're going to begin a brand new series today entitled Give Us This Mountain uh, that really ties in with what I believe God is wanting to do uh, in our earth, in the earth, and in our land. And I believe, as I said just a moment ago, that we are the catalyst of change. Uh, we are the people that make the difference. Amen? If there's going to be real change in our city, our state, or our nation, it's not going to come from the White House, it's going to come from the church house. And it's going to come out of the body of Christ as we advance and build the kingdom of God. Now, let me just be really honest with you. Uh, for several years, Pastor Kelly has been kind of pressing me. Uh, we need to do another 21 days of prayer and fasting. We always start every year in January with 21 days of prayer and fasting, just consecrating the year. And uh, for the last, I don't know, probably three years, maybe longer than that, she's saying longer than that, right? So how many of you know our wives have good memories? Lord, help us, Jesus. So. Uh, a long time. She's been saying, We need to do something in July and August. And so, you know, we, we've just never done it. And this year, uh, of course, that's been on her heart. And I've really been praying. And it is no surprise, it doesn't take any kind of revelation or discernment to look at our world and say, Hey, we are living in pivotal times. Amen. Uh, you don't have to be very uh, spiritually aware to recognize that we are living in some pivotal times right here, but this is what I am very much aware of. I am very much aware of the fact that I believe with all my heart uh, that the direction, the decisions, and the future of our nation are going to be determined by prayer, fasting, and the Word of God. Prayer, fasting, worship, I'm sorry I left out worship because that's vital part. Stephen prophesied it this morning, amen? Prayer, worship, and the Word of God. And what we're going to see, I think, over the next 21 days as we start next Sunday... Uh, we're going to see that when you have prayer, worship, and the Word of God, and then you intermingle fasting in the middle of that, all of a sudden that fasting creates a spiritual edge on everything that you're doing. And it takes your prayers, it takes your worship, and it takes the declaration of the Word of God that's coming out of your mouth to a whole nother level, because there's an intensity there that begins to happen when we begin to seek first the Kingdom of God. There's something powerful about denying my flesh. That's not the goal of it, but the purpose of denying my flesh is so that I can press in deeper to the spirit. And sometimes you gotta say no. How many know that that you can't do everything, and if you're gonna do a good thing, you gotta say no to some other things? And I just wanna challenge you today, if you're gonna do a God thing, you're gonna have to say no to some good things. And I heard a guy share this recently. It was just a great, great statement, I just want to share it with you this morning. Uh, The gentleman made the statement. He used the illustration or the Scripture about the uh, wedding supper in the Gospels, where Jesus tells the story about the man who prepares the wedding and begins to invite guests to come. And he begins to invite guests, and one guy says, well, I just bought an ox. I need to go try it out. One guy says, I just got a piece of land. I've got to get it ready. One guy says, I've just got married, and I've got to take care of my new wife. And the Bible says then that he goes and invites all the other people in the the community to come that his house might be filled. But I heard a gentleman make a statement this week. He said, isn't it interesting that the things that kept those people from being engaged in what they were being invited to was not a bad thing? It wasn't sin. It was a good thing. And the reality is, is we don't need to sacrifice our sin on the altar. So many times we come to God and we say, Lord, I'm going to give you my sin, I'm going to give you my addiction, I'm going to give you my pain, I'm going to give you all this, and God will take all that. How many glad He takes all that? But Jesus has already paid for all that stuff. So right now what we lay on the altar, what we sacrifice is we sacrifice not the sinful things, we actually have to sacrifice the good things. We have to be willing to lay down the things that have value, the things that are significant. Maybe it's some time with my family, maybe maybe it's some financial costs, maybe it's some energy and some effort doing some things that's going to just push me beyond my natural limits. And the reality is, as many of us are trying to sacrifice the unholy things, when God's looking for you to sacrifice the good things. Because when you lay something on the altar, you don't give God what's left, you give God what's best. And so God is really challenging us to begin to make a commitment to begin to move in to that place of intercession and prayer and worship in the Word of God where we can begin to change our nation because our nation needs change. Amen? And you and I, again, are the catalyst of that change. So uh, Joshua chapter 14 is the foundational scripture that we're going to jump into today. And the Bible says this, it says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzite said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people to melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Let me just stop for a second and say this today. We are in a spiritual battle. And what is happening in our nation right now, uh, it's not a natural thing, it is a spiritual thing. And there is a spiritual war that is happening in our nation. And, and this is the story of Joshua and Caleb. You remember Joshua and Caleb? There were 12 spies that were sent into the land. Two guys came back and told Moses. They gave a good report. Ten guys came back and they gave a negative report. And the Bible says here, Caleb said that they melted the heart of the people, and I want you to understand everything that's happening right now in our nation, from the coronavirus and COVID 19 to all the spikes, to all the riots, to racial division, to an upcoming election, all these things that are happening right now is a systematic plan of attack against our nation by the enemy. I want you to hear me to melt the hearts of people. Satan wants people to pull back in fear. Instead of pressing in faith. We just came through an entire series entitled Small Faith. And Jesus said, if you have faith as the seed of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and it will obey you. If you believe what you say, you can have. Jesus said, whatever you say. And so right now, we are in the midst of an attack that is really a spiritual attack trying to move us from a place of faith to a place of fear where we draw back instead of press in. But I love what Caleb said to Joshua. He said, but you know that you and I, he said, we fully, wholeheartedly follow the Lord. We got any wholehearted followers of Jesus in the house today? Amen? We got any wholehearted followers online? Let us know you're out there. Amen? So listen to what he said. So Moses swore on that day, verse 9. Saying, surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance, and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Let me just pause again and say this. We're not just fighting for ourselves, we're fighting for our children and our children's children. God is a generational God, and I I love the fact that God refers to Himself in the Old Testament as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is looking at you, but God is never just looking at you. Let me say that again. God is looking at you, but God is never just looking at you. God is looking at your seed. God is looking at your legacy. God is looking at your children, and your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, for those who love God and follow Him, that the blessing of the Lord would go a thousand generations. And so we're fighting not just for ourselves. We're not fighting for our land or even for our opportunities. We're fighting for our children. And God told Caleb that everywhere that the foot of the the place, the sole of your foot has trod, I'm going to give you an inheritance, an inheritance not just for you, but for your children's children forever. So we're fighting for something bigger than ourselves. Can I get an amen? Now let's read on, verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, here I am this day, 85 years old. So when Caleb was 40 years old, God gave him the word. They went in, they spied out the land. He came back. He stood in faith with God, and God gave him a promise, right? God gave him a promise that he would inherit the land, and now it's been 45 years, Forty-five years since the Word of the Lord, forty-five years since he received the promise, but guess what? God hadn't forgot His Word. Amen? And let me give you something even better than that, Caleb hadn't forgot God's Word. God never forgets, but we do. I wonder how many promises you've already forgotten? I wonder how many words God's spoken over you that you've already, because of discouragement and despair and being overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, you've already cast that word off and you're no longer like Caleb. I want you to imagine this. Caleb is now 85 years old, and now they've entered the promised land, and Joshua has been given the charge of dividing the land. And here comes Caleb, and he gets in line, and they may be six feet apart, social distancing, and he's waiting his little turn, and all of a sudden he finds finally steps up to Joshua, when he gets up there, he says, Joshua, you remember me? I'm Caleb. You remember 45 years ago, we went in the land, and God gave me a promise. And then look what he says. Verse 11, and yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. And just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war both going out and coming in. Now look at verse 12. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. God had spoke a word, and and Caleb said 45 years later, I'm still standing at the mountain. I'm still believing God for my word, and I'm still pressing in to what God has for me. I wonder how many mountain promises you've abandoned. How many mountain promises have you abandoned? How many times has spoken a word? God spoken a word to you, and it didn't happen in a week, and it didn't happen in a month, and it didn't happen in a year, and all of a sudden you're no longer standing at the mountain? I love the fact that Caleb, 45 years later, when it finally came time to take the land, he got in line. I don't know about you guys. I'm in line. I've been in line for 22 years. God said, I'm going to build North Alabama's greatest church. I said, Lord, here I am. I'm still here. I ain't going anywhere. I ain't moving. I ain't leaving. I ain't abandoning. God, I'm right here. I'm still believing. God, here's the mountain, God. Give us this mountain. Give us this mountain. For the Lord spoke on that day as you heard. In that day how Anakin was there, and there the cities were great and fortified, and it may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out of the land as the Lord has said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. And Caleb said, give me this mountain. So today I want to share something with you. Today I want to share a revelation that really was unpackaged 45 years ago. And I didn't even realize this until this week as I was praying and studying and preparing for this message this morning. Years ago, I, I read about a vision that two men had, and I'll just go ahead and tell you the story. Bill Bright, who is the founder of Campus Crusades for Christ, and another gentleman by the name of Cunningham who is the founder of YWAM, Youth with a Mission, two ministries that are still today thriving and growing. Campus Crusades for Christ is just about on every college campus in America. Uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, is still training people, young people all around the world to preach the gospel. These two guys were friends. And they were friends, and they'd known each other, and they lived, I don't know, eight or ten hours away. And one day, Mr. Cunningham got a revelation from the Lord, and he felt like God had showed him something significant. And he reached out to Bill Bright, and Bill Bright said, well, you know what, God showed me something just this week too that I need to share with you. So they, they drove and they met together, and when they came together they began to share what God had showed them, and all of a sudden they realized God had showed them the same thing. God has shown them the thing, same, same thing, and 45 years ago, 1975, God gave them a word. And what God showed them, if you look at that next point or that first point on your outline, God showed them what has come to be called the seven mountains of influence. And what God began to show Bill Bright and Mr. Cunningham is that there were seven strategic mountains that made up every nation, every culture, and every community. And if you were going to claim that city or that nation for the glory of God, you were going to have to claim those mountains. And if you think about those mountains, look at that—the mountain of religion, right? There's a religious mountain that needs to be claimed. Right now, there's division. There's all kind of antichrist spirits that are running up that religious mountain. There's the mountain of family that's being devastated and destroyed in America and around the world. There's the mountain of education that needs the hand of God continually pressed into the hearts of young people. There's the mountain of government. Nobody even wonders about that mountain, right? We need God in government. The mountain of media. When they wrote this 45 years ago, they were specifically talking about news media, and now 45 years later we've got social media that's running rampant, setting the culture and the mindset of an entire generation. Then there's the mountain of art and entertainment. Can somebody say, Hollywood needs Jesus. And then there's the mountain of business, which is the financial realm that controls the prosperity of people in any community, any culture, any nation. And so as these guys came together, God had identified these seven things, and this is what they recognized. Whoever controls the mountains controls the world. And the mandate that they walked away with 45 years ago was simply this. They wanted to implement godly change in a nation by changing and attacking these seven mountains of influence. And as I was studying that this week, and I was reading the Scripture about Joshua and how it had been 45 years since he got the promise, and now 45 years he stood at the mountain and said, God, give me this mountain. And the Holy Spirit said, Keith, do you believe it's a coincidence that 45 years ago I gave them that message, and now 45 years later it's burning in your heart to such a degree that you're going to stand up in front of your entire church and everybody online, and you're going to say, God, give us this mountain. It's not an accident that 45 years later, after that word was released in the earth, here we are in Arab Alabama and Holly Pond, Alabama, around the nations of the world through the internet, touching the hearts of people and declaring, God, give us the mountain. And next Sunday, we're going to press into 21 days of prayer and fasting, and our entire prayer and fasting focus is going to be on reclaiming the seven mountains of influence and recognizing that we have been called out and we have been called up to change our world. And let me just make a really bold statement to us today. We're never going to change the world by just going to church. We're never going to change the world by just going to church. Whether we're going in person, whether we're going online, hey, we need to go to church. Amen? But I want you to understand why we go, right? We say this at Liberty pretty consistently, but I want to just reiterate it this morning. We gather so we can grow, and we grow so we can go into all the world and make disciples. We don't gather. This is not a Sunday morning social club. We don't gather because we don't have anything else better to do on Sunday morning. We don't gather and tune in online because there's nothing to watch on TV. We gather because we want to grow. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend, that we should come together. Do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves. Why? Because there is power in community. We were created to live life together, and so we gather together so we can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, so we can grow and become more and more and more and more and more like Jesus, amen? Amen. And any time you have an isolated, separated member of the body, they are dead. Take an ember out of your fire pit and put it on the side by itself, and it will wither and it will grow cold. Why? Because we were created for community. We gather because we have to grow, because we have to sharpen one another, and we have to inspire one another, and we have to encourage one another, and we have to challenge one another. But we're not gathering for the sake of gathering. We're gathering so we can grow, and we are growing so we can go into all the world. And I'm just going to be honest with you, the thing that excites me about church is not not when we come in, it's when we go out. That's what excites me. We went out last weekend and knocked on 191 doors, and it was the funnest weekend I've had in a long time. It was so fun, because that's what we're created for, guys. We're created to come, but we come so we can go. So we can win our world for Jesus Christ, amen? And so we recognize that there are seven mountains of influence, and it's not hard, I don't think, for anybody to look at those seven areas and recognize that those seven things shape our city, our state, our nation, and our world. And that as goes those mountains, so goes our world. And it's not enough to claim one mountain. we got to claim them all, Amen. So let's talk about this. How do we take the mountain? I'm going to give you two things today. How do we take the mountain? Well, I believe the first one is simply this. The first way to take the mountain is that we have to ascend the mountain, and this happens personally. This is not about a bigger church. This is about empowered, equipped believers that are building the kingdom and advancing the gospel in every sphere and every area of their lives. So we have to ascend the mountain. This happens personally, because the higher someone ascends the mountain, the more influence they have upon that mountain. Let's just take Donald Trump for just a minute. Donald Trump was on the business mountain, and he had a pretty pretty good element of influence, but all of a sudden he's on the top of the government mountain, and now everybody knows his name and listens to his crazy tweets and watches everything that he does. Because the higher you ascend the mountain, the more influence you have. The higher you ascend the mountain, the more influence you have on that mountain. And that is why I want you to hear this. This is why there is no such thing as a sacred or secular work for Christians. If you are born again, hear me, if you are born again, everything is sacred, everything is significant, and everything is spiritual. Everything. Why? Because when you got born again, you no longer belong to yourself, you belong to Him. You've been bought with a price, purchased by the blood of Jesus, and everything you do is now sacred unto the Lord. There's nothing secular about your life. And one of the greatest schemes of the enemy is Satan has deceived us into thinking, well, when I come to church, that's sacred. When I read the Bible, that's sacred. When I pray and tell others about Jesus, that's sacred. And when I you know, I go to small group, that's sacred. When I serve on a ministry, that's sacred. When I sing songs in church or songs in my home, that's sacred. But when I get up tomorrow morning on Monday morning, and I punch the clock, and I go to work, and I'm working in the field, or I'm working in the factory, or I'm leading the business, or I'm creating things online, all of a sudden we have this idea that this is my my secular job, and then the things that I do for God are my sacred jobs. There's nothing secular for you if you're born again. Listen to what the Bible says. I want you to see this. First Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 says, therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all the glory of God. Tomorrow morning when, you have your, when you're having your coffee, it's sacred. When you eat lunch with your coworkers tomorrow, it's sacred. Sweet tea, sacred. I knew y'all like that. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 takes it a step further. It says, and whatever you do or whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Whatever you do or whatever you say, do it as a representative. Represent Christ to the Lord in everything that you do. In everything that you do, when Stephen does accounting during the week, it's sacred. When you clean your house, it's sacred. When you mow the yard, it's sacred. It's sacred, it's significant, and it's spiritual, because you are a representative of Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest challenges that has ever happened is that we have segregated our lives from secular to spiritual, and we said, this is what I do for God, and this is what I do to make money. No, 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 no. No, this is—God wants you—I want you to hear me—God wants you to ascend the mountain. Every person in this room, and everybody watching me online, is called to at least one mountain. I believe many are called to more, but at least one mountain, you are called to ascend the mountain. And let me just say this to you, success creates influence. And if you're on the business mountain, you need to be the most successful person in your industry of business. When there is a problem or there is a challenge in your industry of business, you want to be the person that everybody else calls. Well, Pastor Keith, it ain't about making money. Absolutely, it's 100% not about making money. It's about building the kingdom, and there are a lot of people that make a whole lot of money, and until you make $1 more than them, they won't listen to you. Why would they listen to you? You make a minimum wage, they're making a half a million dollars a year, and you're going to tell them how to live your life? They're not going to listen to you. The moment you surpass them, they're going to say, now what are you doing? every area See, there, there we got way too many Christians showing up to work, just punching the clock. Because I'm trying to make a paycheck. Because this is just what I do to feed my family and everything. I really got a heart for ministry, but I got to work my job. And I really want to serve God, but I got to work my job. And I really want to pray more, but I got to work my job. And I really want to be full time in ministry, but I got to work my job. I lived that way to see for years, and it is the most perverted, corrupt way to live your Christian life. If you're born again, everything you do is sacred. It is ministry. And it is holy unto the Lord. And if you'll begin to look at your life that way, and you'll begin to say, you know what? Whatever mountain God's got me on, I'm going to climb that mountain. I'm going to be the most successful, influential person on that mountain. Because I'm here called to build the kingdom of God. So how do we take the mountain? First of all, we ascend the mountain. I'm just going to tell you, in a couple of weeks we're going to dive really deep into you and me ascending our mountains, but I want to move to our second point. The second way that we take the mountain is what we're about to start next week, and hopefully you're not going to wait till next week, hopefully you're already doing it. The second way is to create a climate, literally a spiritual atmosphere that is conducive for the kingdom of God to advance. Romans fourteen seventeen 17 tells us, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not religious ritual. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy, and think about it. What would happen if on that governmental mountain we had righteousness, peace, and joy? What would happen if in your family, in the family mountain, we had righteousness, peace, and joy? You know what would happen on the family mountain if we had righteousness, peace, and joy? You could say, bye-bye, divorce. That's not condemnation to anybody that is divorced, but I, everybody that I know that is divorced, when they get married again, they don't want to get divorced again. It hurts. It's not God. It's not good. It's painful. And nobody likes it. Righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of God. What would happen if the kingdom of God began to rule in our families, in our education system? What would happen if the kingdom of God began to rule in media? What if there really was no... Right side, left side, conservative side, progressive side. What if there was just truth? Wouldn't that be refreshing? (laughs) So we have to change the climate, and here's why. Because the climate determines the crops and the culture of every nation. The climate determines the crops and the culture of every nation. The Holy Spirit really began to show me this. He said, Keith, think about the climate. Think about the atmosphere, literally the climate in the natural. He said every region on the planet has a unique climate, and that climate determines the crops that grow there. There are things that grow in Alabama that may not grow in California. There are things that grow in California that may not grow in Alaska. There are things that grow in Alaska that may not grow in Hawaii. And there are things that grow in Hawaii, I think they got a bunch of pineapples over there that may not grow anywhere else. And here's the realization. The climate controls the crops. If you want to change the harvest, you got to change the climate. Because think about it for just a minute. The farmer in Hawaii is not a better farmer than the farmer in Alabama, but he can grow something that we can't grow, and we can grow something he can't grow, not because they're better farmers or worse farmers, but because of climate. See, there are some things that will never grow without the right climate. And let me just be honest with you today, every person in this room has a climate attached to them. There is a spiritual climate or atmosphere on every person's life. And you know it's true, because some people can walk in the room, and all of a sudden the room lights up. Other people walk in the room, and the room gets dark. That's a spiritual climate. And every person in this room, every person watching me online has a spiritual atmosphere that now defines your life, and it's either righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, or it's not. It's either something that cultivates the kingdom of God, or resists the kingdom of God and pushes back against it. We have so much resistance against the kingdom in all seven of those mountains, even on the religious mountain, which you think should be in favor of God. But you got Buddha and and Hindu. I gave him a new day whatever. <laughs> Buddha and Muhammad and Hindu, all, whatever, y'all know what I'm talking about. So we recognize we've got to create a climate, and how do we do it? So we create this climate because it controls the crops. It controls what grows there. See, we, 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 until we change the climate on those seven mountains, they're not going to produce the harvest or the increase it needs to be. They also control the culture. The culture of the people that live there is controlled by the climate. Now, we live in North Alabama, and in North Alabama, it's probably been a long time since one of your buddies called you up and said, hey, grab your surfboard, let's go catch a few waves. (laughs) It's probably been a while since somebody said, hey, get your skis, we're going to go hit the slopes this weekend. Not if you're in North Alabama. Why? Because the climate. Creates the culture. It defines our activities. It defines our relationships. It defines how we gather, the way we gather. Out in California, I went to Rick Warren's church years ago, and they have there in San Diego, California, they have this amazing outside beautiful baptismal tank that 12 months a year they baptize people. Bring that to Alabama, and we're going snow baptizing next month, right? all of a sudden, the climate creates a culture. They can do things in that climate that we can't do because our climate is different than theirs. So, when you begin to understand that whatever the climate is over a specific mountain, it determines the crops, the things that grow there, and it also determines the culture that is created. And it's not hard to look at that entertainment mountain and look at Hollywood and say there's a culture that is very resistant to the gospel. It's not hard to look at media and see there is even a culture that's very resistant to the gospel. It's not hard even to look at educational systems, and we got a great system here in ARAB, but there are many educational systems right now pushing an anti-God, anti-Christ idea and mindset down the hearts and lives of kids. So we've got to change the the climate of those mountains. How do we do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Last one, last point on your outline. Through prayer, worship, and the Word of God. Through prayer, worship, and the Word of God, we change the climate, we control the crops, and we create the culture. Through prayer, worship, and the Word of God, we change the climate, we control the crops, and we create the culture, which is a culture of the kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy. We create a culture. Because here's, here's, the, here's the realization. You can't climb every mountain. You're not called and anointed by God to ascend every mountain. But you can war for every mountain. You can create climate on every mountain so that those that are called to climb that mountain can actually have an atmosphere that opens for them to ascend that mountain. See, in the last few years we talk, and I I talk a lot about Hollywood there being negative and being anti-Christ. We've seen some major inroads of Christian movies and Christian entertainment and Christian things that have come into Hollywood, and all of a sudden the church has got behind it and we've prayed and we've interceded and we've supported And all of a sudden, now now there's a little access for those in that industry to begin to bring the gospel to the forefront instead of having to tuck it away in the back corner and try to sneak it in. And that's what prayer, worship, and the Word of God does. It changes the climate. It creates an atmosphere that begins to make a shift where things begin to grow that never grew there, and the culture begins to shift, and all of a sudden people that were once resistant are now granted access to ascend the mountain and go higher and higher and higher than they've ever went before. Now, let me just be really clear. When I'm talking about you ascending the mountain and, the, and, and believers ascending the mountain, I'm not talking about we need a pastor and a preacher on every mountain. God help us know we don't. We don't need preachers and pastors on every mountain. We need men and women of God on every mountain. And we need men and women of God who are going to build and advance the kingdom of God, who are going to live by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, and declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when we begin to create a climate over that mountain that is conducive to the kingdom, then the people that are on that mountain that are in the kingdom can begin to flourish and thrive. And all of a sudden, we begin to partner one with another because the hand can't say the foot, I don't need you, and the ear can't say the mouth, I don't need you. We need the entire body of Christ doing what every part of the body does. And if I can use my hand to help my knee, then praise God I ought to do it. And if I can use my mouth to make way for my feet, then praise God I ought to do it. And so through prayer, worship, and the Word, we begin to create a culture that controls the crops and the climate of that community that allows that mountain to be claimed for the glory of God, and all of a sudden we begin to see the kingdom advance up the mountain. Let me give you one closing Scripture. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Next Sunday we're going to have a special prayer service, and we're going to do just what the Scripture says. We're going to pray for one another. And so I want to just encourage you, next Sunday we're going to have a special time of prayer We're just going to pray for and minister to one another. And it's going to be a powerful, powerful time in the house of the Lord. For those of you that are watching online, we're going to have prayer counselors ready to Zoom call with you, chat with you, and minister to you. Because we're going to pray with people all over the world. Amen? Then look what he says. He says, in the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person, the earnest, heartfelt, fervent, passionate prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I just want to tell you, I believe that. I believe prayer changes things. I really do. I believe prayer changes things. And God's been challenging Kelly and I just to continue to step up our prayer game. I mean, we've, we've prayed and we've interceded, but I mean, God's just continually calling us higher. Because prayer changes things. Prayer changes the climate. Until the climate changes, the crops never change. See, everybody's cursing all this bad fruit, but until you begin to affect the climate of that mountain, nothing's going to change. You can curse the fruit, but more's just going to grow right back in its place. But when you change the climate, all of a sudden what used to grow there can't grow there no more. Think about that. You take Alaskan climate and put it over Hawaii and see if they grow pineapples. It won't grow. Why? Because when you change the climate, change the crops, change the culture, and all of a sudden things really begin to change. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. If you really believe prayer changes things, I want to challenge you to press into God in prayer. Let's make prayer, worship, and the Word of God not something we do or something we even talk about. Let's make it something that we live, that we begin to live it. And I I believe, I believe when we pray the Word and we worship according to the Word and we decree and declare the Word of God that things change. God's Word is powerful. He's exalted His Word, the Bible says, even over His own name. And here's the challenge. The challenge is that it's really easy for us to say we believe in prayer, but most of us, if we'll be honest, normal Christian prayer is selfish, self-serving, and self-centered. Most Christians pray for themselves, and they pray for their families, and they pray for their needs, and they stop. That's normal Christianity. Normal Christian prayer is all about self. But I want to just challenge you. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for ourselves we should. And we shouldn't pray for our families we should, but we just shouldn't stop there. We shouldn't stop with me and my own because there's a world that desperately needs Jesus. There's a world desperately needs Jesus. And the Lord reminded me, he said, Keith, do you realize that even we get selfish when we're praying for lost people that are in our family? Because sometimes we want them to get saved because they're really hard to live with. Let's be honest. Sometimes we, we are earnestly praying for their salvation because they're so hard to get along with God. If you just save them, it'd be easier on me. See, if we're not careful, the Bible says... We have not because we ask not or we ask amiss to consume it after our own lust. Selfish, self-centered, self-focused prayers very rarely leave the room. But if you want to change the climate, and you begin to intercede and stand in the gap, and begin to decree and declare the Word of God, yes, over your life and over your family, but don't stop there. There's a city, there's a state, and there's a nation. There are seven mountains of influence that needs somebody standing in the gap for them. Let me read the rest of this scripture. Y'all still good? Y'all give me two more minutes. Elijah was human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And when he prayed again, let me stop there. And when he prayed again, I, I understand it's easy to get discouraged in prayer if you're looking with your eyes. If you believe that the fruit of your prayer is only what you can see, then you won't pray because you probably won't see what you want to see the way you wanted to see it when you wanted it. And it's easy to get discouraged. And I know everyone in this room, we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed. I want to challenge you today. How many are willing today to say, Pastor Keith, I'm ready to pray again. I'm ready to pray again. I'm just going to pray again. I'm going to pray again. I'm just going to pray again, and I'm going to pray again, I'm going to pray again. And the Bible says, and he prayed again, and look what the Bible says, and the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Isn't it interesting that when Elijah prayed, the climate changed? The climate changed. For three and a half years, there was no rain. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain. And look what the Bible says. The Scripture says, look at that Scripture, and the earth began to yield its what? Because the climate controls the what? That's what prayer does. That's what worship does. That's what the Word of God does. So I want you to just bow your heads, and we're about to close. Every head bowed, every eye closed, not because this is a secret moment, because it's not a secret moment, but it is a personal moment. And I don't want you distracted by what anybody else around you is doing because this is a moment between you and the Lord. But I wonder here today, I wonder how many of us in this room, how many of you watching online today would honestly be able to say, God, like Caleb today. (laughs) Like Caleb, I'm going to stand before you. And God, like Caleb today, I'm going to say, God, give me this mountain God give me the mountain God we believe there's seven mountains of influence and Lord we're asking you for all seven God give us the mountains and if you're here today like me and you say Pastor Keith I want to be that Caleb and I want to stand in the gap for the mountains that God has put before us and I'm going to pray again But I'm going to pray again like I've never prayed before. Every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, just raise your hand right now. Just a simple act says, that's me. I'm going to to pray again. I'm going to stand at the mountain today. Father, I thank you for every hand, and I thank you for every hand that wasn't raised. Lord, I thank you for every person here today. But God, you've seen our commitment. God, like Caleb, we just declare, "Give give us this mountain. Give us this mountain. Give us this mountain and if you're here this morning with every head bowed every eye closed and maybe you say you know what Pastor Keith I don't even know the Lord you're talking about prayer and worship and claiming mountains and climbing mountains I don't even understand half of what you said here today but this is what I do understand and this is what I do know I need God and maybe you came here today just for that one reason because you want to be saved If that's you right now and you say, Pastor Keith, I want to accept Christ this morning. I want you just to raise your hand. Just raise your hand high. I'd love to pray with you today. Online, there's a link for you to click that says that today you want to make a decision to follow Christ. So let's just pray this prayer together out loud. All of us, let's say it right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I give you my heart and my life. I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today.